if you look at society as a whole today, there's so many people that do not have something that they push themselves. It doesn't have to be running. You know, people are like, I don't run. That's fine. If you don't have something where you constantly push yourself and, and are, are trying to progress as an individual, you're not going to feel good about yourself. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of After School Program, the podcast where we talk with young, successful adults about how they navigate their lives and careers after school. I'm Connor Hine, and with me is my co-host, Zach McHale. Today's guest is Ryan Lang. Ryan is an ultra-marathon runner and business owner. Ryan has run multiple 200-mile races, including the Mohab 240. He owns an outdoor apparel company, a product design company, and is also a running coach. Ryan's main objective is to show others the value of long-term happiness and fulfillment generated from pushing your body and brain to the limits. In this episode, we talk about how Ryan uses running to push his boundaries in life, how his company Gen Z nearly got on Shark Tank, the importance of having a support system, how Ryan overcomes adversity, and how Ryan views success. Here he is, Ryan Lang. All right. Cool, dude. Well, thanks a lot for coming on, Ryan. We really appreciate it. No, Um, I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Um, so I guess a good point to start is let's start with the Moab 240 because that's I was just trying to find what's the craziest thing you've done. And, yeah. and could you talk about how like when you decided to do that and what that experience was like? Absolutely. So first, I want to back you up. It was not the craziest one. That race out of the three 200 milers I attempted was mm. the easiest. I know it was 240 miles, which the other two are 200 miles, but the elevation gain is what really smacks you in the ass. Mm-hmm. Um, and Moab only had about, uh, I think it was uh, uh, 20,000 feet of elevation game. Whereas <laughs> Bigfoot, <laughs> Dude, that sounds super easy. <laughs> Why are we even talking about this? <laughs> Bigfoot and Tahoe are 30,000 feet. So that, that mm-hmm. the extra 10,000 really takes it out of you. But, you know, I was in college. I was, you know, pretty overweight freshman year, started to run. Um, where I lost some weight. And so here people were telling me, Ryan, you're looking good. So typical ego inflation where I'm Great like, shit, I got to run more. If people are telling me I look good, I want to look even better, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, got nothing to lose, ran a marathon, was just, you know, bored sitting in class, obviously not paying attention and uh, found a 50 mile race. Me and my dad went out to North Carolina uh, and he, he found that he really enjoyed being my pit man. You know, I'd roll into an aid station, you know, which is every six to 10 miles throughout these races. And he'd load me up with food, you know, joke around with me, mess around and then drive to the next aid station. So, you know, he, it kind of became a father son bonding thing there. Then I yeah. went and did a hundred miles and I did that. That was a train wreck. I had no no clue what I was doing in terms of nutrition, how to fuel my body for these races. I was just going out and putting one foot in front of the other and seeing what happened. Mm-hmm. So I found, I was listening to Joe Rogan and now who's my buddy, Cam Haynes was talking about how he was going to do this 200 mile race. And I'm just walking back from class. I'm like, I got nothing better to do. So I just impulse signed up for it. I told my dad, he told me you're fucking nuts, but let's buy some plane tickets. (laughs) Bought some plane tickets, went out to the race. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the inverse of the individual that's running these races. I'm at the time I was a 20, 20 year old, you know, and I'm a pretty thick, uh, young man over here. Mm -hmm. Unlike the 
people at these races are, you know, the size of my pinky and they're 40 years old. So yeah, I feel like they all get into like that kind of running, you know, I don't know, maybe thirties or later thirties. Yeah, yeah. It mainly is, which I'm trying to kind of, you know, turn that tide. I, yeah. I use this, I don't want to call it an analogy, but you're seeing a lot of people start their own businesses in their 30-ish, in their, you know, that age. You're seeing endurance sports kind of come into people's lives at that age. I, I you know, I'm seeing benefits doing this way earlier at the mm-hmm. age of 20 in college, whatever, and getting all of these life lessons that come with the ultra running and trying to start your own businesses. So, you know, that's why I'm trying to be a proponent now of getting the young guns in the game. Right. Um, but to bring it back, you know, we went out. And what was the worst thing? I go to Moab, I run maybe a 50, 100, 150 miles and I have to drop out, whatever. Mm-hmm. I had nothing to lose. I was just a college kid that was kind of bored at that time. Uh, and I completed the race and, you know, completing those races kind of gave me that that back pocket confidence where, you know, you're going through something super hard physically, mentally, or even emotionally where you're like, I ran 200 miles. What the, what, you know, this is, this is nothing, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, and and I found a great community in the running community of a bunch of other nutcases that are, you know, running until they have blisters on their ball sacks and and testing their limits. David Goggins out there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Is there a typical mileage point that you start to struggle with? Um, you know, that's, slowly gotten further and further later in the races for me because I've learned, you know, this past hundred miler I did in March, I learned that every aid station, I take the massage gun, this bitch. And if you don't have this, I recommend buying one right into the hamstrings for a good two minutes, each hamstring. And it just renews my legs like that. So I didn't get to that real true die out point ever in the race because mm-hmm. I also have learned how to fuel my body efficiently, how I, you know, I don't do well with cliff bars and these goo gels and all this, you know, this BS sugar crap. I eat burgers, quesadillas, bacon, and Cheez-Its and I'm ripping, you know, that, that's <laughs> I, I was about to make a joke. Food. Like you just fuel up on pizza, but that's actually kind of what you do. <laughs> no, it is. It is. You know, the, you, you, if you just search, the carbs, it's it no uh, the this level it's of the cheese it's at the this cheese. distance. That's right. Extra you cheese. need you need protein. You need to you know your muscles are going to break down within that six to eight hours of running where they need to recover with protein while you're still running. Mm-hmm. So you know a big part of getting into ultra running that I try to stress to people that ask me about it is you got to train your stomach. I would do. You know, a, a run, I'd eat like a half a burger and I'd go out on a three mile run and see what would happen. Um, you know, I'd eat weird things to find out, okay, my stomach likes this when I'm bouncing around. It doesn't like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you can't get into these 50, 100 mile races if you're not fueling your body as you go. Right. Yeah. Speaking of those kind of challenges, I was watching your video on uh, your white claw challenge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how, could you explain that and how that uh, went dude, for you? Honestly, I was bored here. Uh, I just moved to Denver. Didn't have any friends yet. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to see how far I could run drink. Cause I heard of the beer mile and I'm mm-hmm. like, how could I like switch this up and kind of make some interesting content here? Um, and I ended up you know, I'm not going to spoil too much, but I was absolutely obliterated. By the <laughs> yeah, end of this. I see you, you look pretty imagine. hammered in the chair there. <laughs> so, yeah, he basically, he would run a mile and every mile he would uh, chug a white claw. 
Yeah. And his goal was to go for 20 miles there, Cons. Okay. I was going to say, like, was the goal to just see how long you could last, but you actually had, like, a set number? Because I feel like... I I had 24 white claws in a cooler. So I was going... I I go until... Uh, You know, if anyone wants to see the video, I go until... mm as much as I possibly can. I'll tell you until this, you're though. until you're too drunk to run anymore. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I, my legs never died out. It was just, I, I couldn't, couldn't walk straight. Yeah. yeah. You didn't know how to run anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I actually, I actually got, you know, again, because I'm very, a much younger individual that does these races, I actually got a lot of hate from the ultra running community. And people are like, look at this, look at this Chad ruining the sport. <laughs> it I'm like, but it's great, dude. I'm yeah. like, come on. I'm just fucking yeah. around here. Yeah. Like that's the point. Satisfaction. He's not taking himself seriously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's what's fun about it too, man. Yeah. So oh, keep slugging really white claws too. Yeah. That's, that's great. I, I get drunk all the time where I can't walk, but there's no 20 miles involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then what is it that you enjoy about running the extreme distances? Yeah. When, um, you, when did you, when did you find out that you liked that? I guess it was that 50 mile. And yeah. The 50 miler where yeah. me and my dad, you know, we're having, it, it became fun. It became an adventure, more of a race. I call it adventures with my dad and the racing is just, you know, the second part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, what I really like about it and, you know, in this day and age, I, w- I was listening to a podcast, this guy, Michael Easter, he wrote a book called the comfort crisis. And it's all about how, you know, us as humans, we live an entire, entire lives, very comfortable. We buy food where we have, you know, information at our fingers. Everyone is extremely comfortable. So we're going into this world where, no one battle tests their body and their mind and understands what they're truly made of. And these races, you know, after when COVID hit, I didn't race for you know over a year. And I started to kind of like feel a little like shitty about myself. And these races kind of give you, you know, that sense of confidence that, damn, I could do some crazy shit, you know? Mm-hmm. And after all these races, I'm like flying high for a couple months, feeling really good about myself. And, and it, it truly boosts your confidence. And if you look at society as a whole today, there's so many people that do not have something that they push themselves. It doesn't have to be running. You know, people are like, I don't run. That's fine. If you don't have something where you constantly push yourself and, and are, are trying to progress as an individual, you're not going to feel good about yourself. You know, if you're not, you guys started a podcast, right? You're trying to meet new individuals, spread information that I'm sure you're, you're getting some sort of reward uh, in yourself out of that. There's too many people that have their finger scrolling on Instagram and the other finger controlling Netflix with a bag of Dorito next to them. And, and they're just not happy about life. Yeah, no shit you're not happy about life that's what i love about running is it, it it constantly grinds and sharpens you into that individual of strong mental character right yeah it's skill building and then just overcoming adversity so then you know right. you have a better idea what you're capable of exactly exactly and i don't mean to be like pretty pushy about you know doing tough shit like this but there i don't care who you are there's something that you could put push yourself in in some way physically or mentally that makes you a tougher individual yeah mm-hmm. what's that what's that sense of accomplishment like after completing a fucking 200 mile <laughs> well you you get to the end of the race and you slugged three beers and you pretty right. much fall asleep right away but yeah. <laughs> i was always the chubby kid getting picked near last in in any sport that we played you know it, it's that sense of wow you know if, if i truly push myself in this what if i push myself in this what can i become you know what i mean so then it's kind mm-hmm. of that chain reaction of 
what the hell can't I do on this planet? You see that mentality spill over into all your other ventures too. I mean, so let's talk about a couple of those. So you've got Rave Runner now, right? So yep. you also help like teach other people how to run. Yep. Yeah. So I, I just, I just became a running coach. I got certified, uh, RRCA certified to be a coach. Um, and all that is, is, you know, just a weekend course to kind of understand how to coach people. But, you know, if I can now show other individuals how to get to, you know, maybe not the point that I'm at, but on the track or on their own personal path, right. then that gives me even a bigger sense of accomplishment because I could have other individuals feel how I'm feeling. Um, you know, and after my 200 milers, I started my own company, Gen Z, mm-hmm. I designed a new hydration backpack that, you know, I, before that I was a real estate major. I didn't know this whole entrepreneur life existed, but it was like, all right, I ran 200 miles. Why not try, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and with starting my own business, learning how to design a product. Now I had people come to me asking, Ryan, how do I design this? How do I design that? And I'm like, oh shit, I could start a design consulting business. So I just got my first few couple clients in, in my design business and now that's rolling. So yeah. this, I don't want to say indirectly starting this crazy running stuff, put me on this path of hopefully, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm not supporting a family, but hopefully my own path of financial freedom. Right. Yeah. You got to start somewhere and you, you got your hands in a lot of different places. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice or tips for somebody who's considering getting into running to kind of start pushing their mental barriers? Yeah. Uh, don't think of the totality of it. A lot of the problem that I think exists is people look at Goggins and they're like, holy shit, I'll never get to that. So they don't even mm. try. So you, you got to go out and that, that first month and a half, two months of running sucks, sucks so much. Your yeah. body's like, what the fuck is this? Not fun. Yeah. No, it hurts. Everything hurts. You get weird pains in your knees and your ankles. And most people, I'd say 85% of people quit during that time. But mm-hmm. once you, once your body adjusts, your, your muscles start to understand, okay, this is what's happening. You break through and you get to that point of actually enjoying running. Right. Um, so that's number one. And number two kind of, you know, tails off of that is not overtraining. Um, you know, I, I've gone through periods of time where I, you know, was not noticing that I was legitimately depressed because I was running 85, hundred miles a week and I was doing nothing but running. And I had, which is kind of weird, literally no sex drive whatsoever for two months straight because mm-hmm. it, it's called, it's, uh, I forget the exact uh, terminology, but I had no testosterone to like free testosterone to be used in my body because yeah. it was all going to rebuilding muscle. Mm. So, you know, you can't burn the flame way too high or else you're going to die out. And I've been there before. Yeah. Yeah. When I had, uh, speaking of David Goggins, when I had, uh, I read his book last summer and dude, that, that just like with your content, that book will get you all jacked up to go oh, yeah. and just like do some crazy shit. Yeah. And I remember with my buddy, Matt, like we went on a long ass bike ride, did like a hundred miles, which I was hell dead. Yeah. So I don't know how the hell you do a hundred miles running nonetheless, like 200 <laughs> and then like ran, uh, a good bit after that down the shore and then like ran with my buddy the next day and just fucked my knee up <laughs> and like, <laughs> my buddy was like kind of on the same kick and he screwed his up. We yeah. were both like, maybe we should chill out like a little bit. Yeah, like, you've, take been a step there. Back. you've been there. But yeah, so could you tell us then about your experience with Gen Z mm-hmm, um, and kind of how you, yeah, how you started making that apparel? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I started with the hydration backpack first. The main problem I was solving, step one is learning like how to start a business. You have to solve a legitimate problem that's out there. I, I forget the statistic. It's like 90 something percent of business fa- businesses fail because they're not actually solving a problem. Um, so that's number one. If someone's thinking about starting a business, it is you have to define what you're at the solution and value add to what you're doing versus what's already out there. Um, so, you know, I, I had no idea how to create a hydration backpack. Finally got connected with a manufacturer, learned Photoshop so I could communicate my ideas with them. Uh, and eventually, you know, got the hydration pack in my hand. That led to me starting a Kickstarter and Drexel, funny enough, um, you know, I, I'm not a huge proponent on going to college after my experience now, but Drexel gave that, me a $15,000 grant and workspace to start my own company, which Damn, no way. the only other school that does that is Northeastern, which Connor Gross went to. Okay. And I don't understand why every college in the United States does not have that. Mm-hmm. You know, we look at the student loan crisis, got kids have loans out the butt and then they go and there's no jobs. Why aren't we teaching individuals to start their own jobs more? So the number one thing is just you have to believe in yourself from from the first point, just like running, or else you're going to get to these times of uncertainty and absolutely fall apart, just like running. When you're, you got blood running down your leg and, and you're peeing orange, if you sit in that chair and you quit, it's going to feel a hell of a lot nice, nicer when you know, you're able to say to yourself, all right, I'm going to quit this business endeavor because it's, it's all right. It's not my thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when you're able to push past that uncertainty and understand that you're going to go through ups and downs, regardless of whatever endeavor you're going through, it's going to be a little bit easier to make it out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then, then now your product line is pretty expansive. I mean, you got a few pages worth of stuff on there now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I realized that Yeah, I was mainly selling to the festival market and I realized that the running market is much bigger. So I kind of switched around, pivoted my branding to be less rave lasers in your face and a little bit more tough guy, Mm -hmm. um, add a little bit more sex appeal to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not That's why you got all those naked pictures of you on there? Oh yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm still running ads to people that are interested in festivals, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, expanding the the product line is, from my understanding, your way into retailers. Retailers don't take, you know, Dick Sporting Goods, Models does not take on a company with just one product, right? right? They want to see a multitude of product lines that they can test out in their stores. Weren't you on Shark Tank? So, yeah. I, are, you, I, are you allowed to talk about that? I am now. I was released of any, I'm not allowed to talk about the behind the scenes stuff. So, okay. so I filmed on the show in September mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I moved to Denver. So my whole idea was, you know, just get ready for when this airs. Um, and, you know, I was very flying high on, on that airing. I was very confident based off of what everyone was telling me that's involved with the show, um, and ended up getting the call that they were not going to air me, um, which was a fucking fucking kick to the nuts. Right. But, you know, after a, a couple hours of feeling super sorry for myself, it's like, all right, you know, that's just another 
kicked to the nuts where you mm-hmm. just got to get back up and keep fighting the good fight. Right. So, you know, I, having connections there, I'm going to go make some more money with Gen Z, apply again and come back and be, and, and you know, make it that much better. Right. Um, which it's, it's tough because, you know, this whole past six months I've been like, all right, this is going to air and I'm going to, you know, really benefit from it. So yeah. I got a little comfortable. I will yeah. say I got a little comfortable, but you know, that it, I, on the other side, that 10% of me thinking maybe I won't air, I started the design business. Cause I'm like, you know, I gotta, I gotta have a backup plan. Right. So mm-hmm. that's where I'm at right now, but hell of an experience. And, you know, I, I didn't think I was worth being on that show. So I never applied until a friend mentioned it to me. So if you got a little something, it's worth applying. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I mean, that at least gives you the confidence to know that what you're doing is good enough to be considered to get on that show. Right. Yeah, that's true. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. It's (laughs) tough when you, uh, you know, you set your expectations to something that's kind of outside of your control there too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So Ryan, how about we go back into, to growing up? Can you tell me like, like you've, you've touched on it a little bit, but like, what's kind of, what's growing up for you? Like you said, you were kind of a thicker kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was always that kid that had to work a little bit harder because he wasn't, didn't have the skill, you know, I didn't have the speed of Nick Bono and I was mm-hmm. never as big as Fryer growing up, but you know, I grew up in Medford. So, you know, you know, the, the lifestyle that we lived, mm-hmm. we lived a pretty comfortable lifestyle, pretty sheltered lifestyle. Um, and that's, I think another thing I noticed in college, I was like, damn, I got it pretty good. I need something that I can, you know, kind of humble myself and a reason that I, I, you know, can feel a little bit of stress in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, my childhood was pretty basic suburban kid was given a good amount of stuff growing up. Uh, you know, but I thank my dad for, I don't know how he did it instilling persistence and determination within my character and showing me that you got to work for whatever you want to get. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a lot, a big role into why I am who I am today is because my dad, every time I got something, he made me realize what it took to get it. So that's something that I plan on teaching my kids uh, growing up that I think contributed to, you know, not being a piece of shit right now. Uh (laughs) Yeah. So then, so you go to Drexel uh, and initially when you go to school, what are you thinking you want to do? Yeah. So I was probably like many kids really tied into that Wolf of Wall Street lifestyle, trying to be the finance kid that loved the stock market. Um, And I went into school as a finance major only to go and realize I don't fucking like this shit. I just thought wearing a suit was cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I I pivoted to being a real estate major uh, and then finally started the running stuff and started my own business endeavors and was like, okay, I am not gonna you know do this excel spreadsheet lifestyle yeah was there a particular point that you remember where you're like this is not my route here yeah when i got into the drexel entrepreneurship program and they gave me that grant and my workspace i'm like wow there's not many you know individuals that are lucky enough to get this this is and I got a taste of like living on my own schedule. Mm-hmm. And also I will say Drexel has a co-op program where I went and worked a full-time job for six months. So I got a taste of that 
I was working 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. and sitting at a desk watching the guy next to me slug six Coke Zeros every day, come back in and do the same shit. And I'm like, how the fuck do you live like that and be happy? You know? So I got a taste of working on my own schedule, seeing my own input and what came out of it and being in control of that, you know, and working until 10 o'clock on some Saturdays, but being able to take off on some Tuesdays, that's where I was like, holy shit, this is the, this is the life that I want to live that, you know, everyone I think kind of strives to live, but doesn't exactly know how to get there or they don't want to put in the work to get there. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah, so that it seems yeah, it was very important at least that you you tried out working kind of the 9 to 5 deal um, yeah. on yeah. on somebody else's time. Well, it's a it's a familiar theme that we keep seeing talking to people mm-hmm. is some of their internships or their first jobs, they the experience is okay, but they they see the people that are above them and they go that's kind of not what I want to do and not the lifestyle I want to have. Uh, and it's kind of like a wake up call to them, like, oh, maybe yeah. I should try something else because the people who are in the positions that I'm striving to be aren't living the life I want to because of their job. So, how do you push through moments of doubt, uh, whether that's with running or with your ventures? Uh, it's tough, man, especially right after Shark Tank told me they weren't airing. You know, yeah. you're going to go through this. The, the questioning of what you're doing, if it's the right thing. One thing I tell people is keep very good people close to you that you can go and say, hey, look, I'm feeling like this. What are your thoughts on you know this future? If I do this, if I do that. And having a good support group uh, of individuals and a community that you could go to, which I used to be very scared of, you know, kind of talking to other people, you know, how I'm feeling. I was never that touchy feely guy. I was always that work real hard, get the fucking job done kind of guy. So Mm -hmm. that, that is huge. But also referring back to that back pocket confidence, if I ran 200 miles, what can I do? You know what I mean? So looking in the mirror and saying that to yourself yet again, really boosts you back up. And, and, you know, maybe some people struggle with this because they don't have that back pocket confidence to go back to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So going out and bruising, battering and beating the shit out of yourself gives you that back, back pocket confidence. Yeah. I I like your point about having a support system. It's not something a lot of people have talked about on the show, but it is something that is super important because if you don't have, you know, at least one or two people that you can career-wise, life-wise, that you can just confide in, uh, it's not going to be a great existence. And the benefits of having that to apply their experience or their insight to what you're going through, even if it doesn't have anything to do with what you're going through, just to see other people have the same struggles is an important thing to talk about and open up about. Yeah. And Connor, that, that like alleviates the stress. You're, you kind of feel as if you're not alone. So you're like, all right, other people are doing this. They're advancing. They're progressing. They're moving forward. So let me quit whining and 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 deal with it, and then move forward. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's there's definitely something to be said for just you know talking with somebody or just like writing down your issues. Something about just like clarifying the issue for someone, and you know even if they don't, the person you're talking to doesn't really have the answers for you. It's just nice to almost like to to kind of like 
carry that weight between the two of you instead of you just holding on to that burden. Right. But I like what you said about writing things down too, because even if, even if you don't want to put the burden on someone else, getting something out of your head onto paper or just Mm -hmm. into words does something. And and I don't know what it does, but It, it definitely, it definitely, uh, you know, makes you be like, oh, this is something I can tackle. Like, you know what I mean? I, it, it becomes tangible when you do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and Connor, uh, Max Busca is writing down four things that happened every day. And mm-hmm. I forget who we learned that from. Uh, Tim Ferriss, probably. Uh, some, something yeah, like that. Yeah, everybody does that he, too. He told me, but that's, I was like, shit, I, sh- I should try doing that. But that is commitment, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is big time commitment. Every day I've tried doing something like it and I'd like mm-hmm. bail after seven days. So it's tough, but to go back to your question, how do I push through? Let's talk about running a little bit more. It's being prepared. It's, it's, it's mentally being ready, not thinking about the totality of 100 miles. When I go out and I do hundred miles, it is, all right, I got eight miles to my first aid station. You get there. You'd never think of that number hundred miles or else you're going to be like, Holy fuck. How am mm-hmm. I going to do this? Yeah. And, and another thing that this is kind of different. Um, ever since I moved out to Denver, started, uh, trying little mini edibles as I ran as well. Five milligram cannabis. Edibles. How's that pan out for you? Cause Dude. Oh, just five. Okay. So, yeah. I, don't, five, I, I was going to say, I would, I was just going to sit down immediately and just start looking at the clouds, man. I'm not <laughs> a weed guy at all. I really never have been. Yeah, I'd be running um, and be like, why am I running? I <laughs> Dude, it, it does something where it switches up your mindset. Kind of it, you know, I have gone through some scary mindsets during it, um, <laughs> but switch ups your mindset kind of makes you notice nature a little bit more. Maybe you get zoned in deeper into a podcast and it just, you know, keeps, it, it's kind of a distraction a little bit more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it like makes you focus on like one thing at a time. Yeah. Which, yeah, which yeah, is, exactly. which, which I would assume when running is kind of a nice thing instead of kind of think of all the variables and how much to go, you can just focus on the, whatever that one thing you decide to focus on. Yeah. It's yeah. It sounds like a good, and five isn't, you know, five's not too, too much. No, it's not. Yeah. And it's actually, I've been reading a bunch of studies on it uh, recently and, and there are a lot of benefits um, and it's, it's not widely used in the sport. Um, I think because some people question it being morally right, but there are mm-hmm. no actual physical, like it does not give you a physical edge in any way. Right. That's okay. From, from what I've been learning, you know, I'm not any top 10 in the world runner. So there's no one that's really questioning, you know, what right. I'm doing. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're it, like, Ryan's a fraud. This is, yeah. this is, yeah, steroids. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I, I know a good amount of people in the sport. My one buddy, carry in the 200 milers carries around an apple bong his whole race every eight stations <laughs> light, lighten up that's great He's nutcase absolute wow. nutcase yeah could you list some of the benefits of it uh to give you a better example so like um i haven't used them in a race yet i've used them in long training runs so like i'll pop one like 25 miles in of a 50k and the last five miles yes you're still hurting but it kind of like i felt like 
like badass. I had my hood up and uh-huh. I just felt like a badass running through the trails, <laughs> like just feeling tough as hell. Yeah. And it just like, it, like I told you, it switches up your mindset a little bit. So like feeling yeah. like a tough motherfucker, mm-hmm. it makes it a little bit easier because you're like, yeah, fuck this book pain. I'm better than it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, kind of breaks that run up into, into two different portions there too, before yeah. the high and after the high. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's true. Yeah, do, do you have that like 40 minutes of like, oh, when's this going to kick in? I'm yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then another thing that I realized is it like, I don't know if it's a combination with running and the edible, but the food I eat, I'm like, mm, damn, this is so good. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know? That actually think, does have to be the best combo right It's got to yeah, be, right? Yeah. Because yeah. right? you're running, you're like low on energy and mm. like one thing, when you're low on energy, any food is going to feel good. But then mm. you add a little bit of like, feel buzzed off of it you're like oh yeah yeah and like you said you're eating cheeseburgers so i mean cheeseburgers i get that feeling from cheeseburgers (laughs) without anything i go oh fuck this cheeseburger is so good (laughs) but add those other factors he's got three boxes of cheese that's in his backpack (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, that's a good you should you should find out a way for the backpack to supply you cheeseburger as you're running I don't know. That's just a thought. Hold, yeah, a holder. He's, yeah, like he's a cheeseburger holder. Grease. Yeah, he's just <laughs> drinking yeah, the grease. Or like a holder here and you just, you know, take bites as, you know, whenever that's, you want. That's true innovation right yeah. there. Huh. It's not bad. It takes yeah, a fat, fat person to come up with it, but I'll, I'll be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, could you tell me about a race that you couldn't complete and what you took away from that? Yeah, so the Bigfoot 200 in 2019 – um, so leading up to that, there were two, two, 200 races that I finished Moab in 2017, Tahoe in 2018. And then, so I'm going in the Bigfoot. I was in the easily the best shape of my life. Um, Feeling confident. Oh, so confident. So yeah. I went in there, I was, I, and I was doing really good first three, uh, 30 miles. I was running with the leader, the lead female who actually came in first female. So I was like, I was, you know, top 15, top 10, the first 50, 50 ish miles. Then, um, I wasn't paying attention to the small details. I was just going right. So I I was like, I'm, I'm a beast runner. You know, my ego is a little too inflated coming into this race. I'm going to fucking crush it. And I didn't pay attention to, I was in. So in Medford, you know, the humidity that we get in July, August, right? So I'm training in Medford humidity, sweating my balls off as I'm running and I'm taking salt pills to, you know, supplement the salt I'm sweating out. And I got to that race in Washington. Humidity was like probably 10, 15%, super Mm -hmm. low. And I just ordered a fresh pack of these salt pills, which were three times the strength. Mm -hmm. So I was just nailing down these salt pills not paying attention that, you know, after 20, 30 mile, you know, at the 70 mile mark, I wasn't peeing and my feet started to hurt. And I thought it was just like, you know, foot pain that is inevitable in these distances. Um, And it ended up being, I was taking so much salt, all the water I was intaking was swelling my body up, swelled my feet up. And I ground down the tendons and ligaments on the side of my feet uh, to the point where I could, I, I literally couldn't walk. If you handed me a pair of crutches, I would have tried to keep going, but they didn't have any at that aid station. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, I literally couldn't walk. I was getting delirious at that point. So I started to try to tell my dad, I wanted to crawl for a couple miles to see how it felt. And he was like, shut the fuck up. You're <laughs> yeah. 
Um, <laughs> so that was my first DNF, my only DNF, which I am going back in August to kick that race in the teeth uh, mm-hmm. and nice. and go back and complete it. So that that sucked. You know, I never DNF'd a race leading up to that. I'd never quit. Um, you know, but I, I will tell you here right now, I will, if I can continue walking, I will not quit. It is when I physically can't walk anymore. And that's Mm -hmm. the point I got to. Yeah. And what'd you take away from that defeat there? Pay attention, dude. I just did not pay attention to what I was doing at all. And, And that's, you know, the thing about these races is you could do one little thing wrong. If you think about it, like, little salt pills. You're like, ah, like what's that really going to do? You know, one little thing wrong, wear the wrong kind of shoes. Um, you know, not drink enough water in just one section, not wear sunscreen. I know people that have gotten sun poisoning and had to drop out of races. So there are so many little things that you have to pay attention. It's like golfing, dude, you line up to hit it. And if you are, your foot's wrong, it's just one inch to the right, you're swinging and you're hitting the ball wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest teacher that race taught me is, you know, you're not just going out there and running. It is a, a fight against science your entire time out there. Yeah. Yeah. Could you talk about your race with Tahoe then? You said that was your hardest one. Uh, the big, well, so the hardest race I've ever done that I've completed was this hundred miler uh, called Ultra Trail Guadalupe? It was mm-hmm. the, Guadalupe is next to Dominican, not to get confused with Guadalupe, which is in Mexico. Yeah, good so, name choice there with, with both of those ones. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I went there. It was just me and my mom. My first race, my mom was crewing me. We got this little box stick shift car. And we're on this island where I think we were the only Americans because at the race, everyone's like, everyone wanted a picture with me, the American. And I was like, holy shit, like I'm no celebrity, but that's that good. Yeah, I guess. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that gave me a big realization to the life that we live, that because I was American, every aid station, people wanted pictures with me. That was like, holy shit, we are living the freaking life over here. Yeah, celebrity by default. (laughs) Right, dude. So, but that race, it your average 100 miler will take me 24 to 28 hours. This race took me 44 hours to complete. And because I'd say 70 of the 100 miles was in knee deep mud. And dude, it was, I got, I was. So all my time estimates were off. I was like, all right, I'm going to need a headlamp for this amount of time, new battery for this amount of time. So I was in 3 a.m., you know, in the midst of this fucking jungle where no one else really spoke English and my headlamp's about to go out. And I'm literally sitting in mud and surrounded by darkness. And I'm like, I'm just going to sit here, wait till the morning and then quit at the next aid station. And this guy came up from behind me. And I was like, uh, dude, my headphone or my, my headlamp is, bro- is out of batteries. And he had no idea what the fuck I was saying. And I was like, lamp, dead. And he's <laughs> like, what? So he finally was like, ah, pulled out a fucking headlamp, handed it to me. And yeah. I was like, oh, damn, God. savior. I, this Bad. is a savior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in retrospect, I would have, you know, the sun would have came up the next morning and I probably would have walked to the next aid station, recouped and kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, this, this guy saved my ass a lot, probably six hours of just agony sitting in, in wet mud. But that was the hardest race I've ever done. If you look at pictures of me at the beginning of this race and at the end, I think mm. I dropped close to 20 pounds. Holy shit. Yeah, because one, I just, the, the dehydration from the humidity and it was hot as balls. And I just was out there for double the time I usually am. I was bonking, which is bonking is when you have no energy from food. So you're, you literally feel as if a dementor from Harry Potter is sucking the life out of you. It's called bonking. Um, sick I reference. I was, <laughs> it's how it feels, dude. Yeah, That's the sick old reference, that is, I, it's really I love great. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's, it's like, you just have no life in you. Um, so, you know, my body was just running off fat stores the entire, pretty much the entire race. So I looked like, you know, Ryan in the beginning and I looked like a 14 year old boy by the end of the race. So you're running for over 20 hours, like 40 hours. I mean, don't you get tired just out of sleep deprivation? Yeah. Well, that's, that's another part of these races is not really the hundred milers as much hundred milers, any race. I will take two weeks off of caffeine. So these hundred milers, when it hits two, 3 AM, I slug a double shot espresso Mm. and I am like a meth addict out there (laughs) on this race. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but in the 200 milers, uh, a big problem becomes, uh, runners hallucinate really bad. Uh, a lot of runners run off course. There was one lady two sure. years, three years ago at the Bigfoot. This was before I ran it. She was hallucinating so bad. She threw her pack and poles over a cliff and was sitting at the cliff, rocking back and forth saying she wanted to go home. Oh and my she, gosh. she had no idea where she was. They had to go and like find her, do a rescue. Um, but that is the battle. And Damn. I think it's kind of fun because you're getting the best of both worlds. You're seeing shit and you're not doing drugs. So it's <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> what the hell? You know? No, you're safe. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. have you hallucinated then before? Oh, dude, multitude of times. There was one time where I was, it was 120 mile mark of Moab uh, going into the second night. So this is now probably going on to 36, 40 hours without sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought I saw a dog on the trail and I was like calling the dog, calling the dog. So I went off trail a little bit, got closer to it. And it was just the fucking log. And I was like, Holy shit. I saw something. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But you know, there's, there's some funny stories of people's hallucinations, but you know, they, they could get a little weird and a little scary sometimes. Cause there was another time it was going into the dusk at Bigfoot before I dropped. And I thought I saw a hunter in the woods, like aiming at me with a gun. So I started to run off trail. Oh, geez. Going haywire. Zigzagging. Yeah. Yeah. And until Serpentine. I finally I sat down for like 10 minutes and was like, I'm probably hallucinating. Uh and it there was no one there. So right. what what is <laughs> that mindset like when you like know you're hallucinating? Uh it well, it takes a minute for you to kind of like realize that it's not what you're seeing because you get loopy. You get whacked out, dude. My dad has so many funny stories of me just saying nonsense out of my ass at aid Mm. stations. Um, But it's like I said, it's kind of fun in the moment, little whack, but looking back on it and like when you're sitting around the campfire at the end of a race, talking to individuals, going over stories, it's like, that's what makes you sign up for the next race. Oh, so what do you do to occupy yourself for, for so long? I mean, because I can do like a four hour car ride, but that's about as long as I can go. You get sick of music. You get sick of podcasts. Um, 
One thing is you get pacers. Pacers are individuals that will run with you. Uh, you know, usually after the 50 mile mark of races, uh, people can run with you. So you got a buddy out on the trail that is, you know, making sure you're not hallucinating running off trail most of the time. Sometimes you don't have them. Uh, but nonetheless, just someone to talk to. You mm-hmm. get you get to that point of being alone in darkness for that amount of time. Just having another person to spit sentences out at feels good. Um, but you'll revolve like I'll do music for three hours, podcast for three, get sick of that, nothing for six, do music again, podcasts again. So you kind of – utilize it to to the best as you can yeah <laughs> take up all the download space on your phone oh yeah say, now my like... phone is so slow i got 128 gig and it's all full shit <laughs> <laughs> so what does success mean to you uh finishing finishing and uh, a thing that i think about a lot i was thinking about before i came on here is i have a very big problem of regression so, you know, starting my own businesses, I'm realizing that you only have a day's worth of energy to go around. And these training runs will take it out of you. Going and doing, you know, 10 miles you know, on a Monday, it's going to take something out of you. Um, so being able to cope with regression, maybe a little bit in running, you know, maybe after this 200 miler in August, kind of like chilling for a few Mm -hmm. uh, and working on my business a little bit more. But to answer your question, success is determining a goal and crossing that finish line of the goal uh, and, and, and feeling that boost of confidence you get from it. So let's talk about it in the running context, 200 miles. Let's, let's, you know, make it more relatable marathon, right? You put in the 12 weeks of training you know, you, you learn as much as you can from other individuals. You go to the art museum, you start that race, you finish in five hours. Hell yeah. That's success, right? Who mm-hmm. cares if you came in last? Who cares if you came in the middle first place? That's success. Business world. You know, Gen Z is, I'm selling stuff, but I'm not making near enough money to pay rent to, to you know, do all these fun things. So starting another business to be able to pay rent that's success. You know, and I have two clients. My next success is five clients. My next success is, you know, 150K in revenue in that business. So like I talked about with these races, never thinking about the totality of it, but setting up goals and objectives of success that define success and crossing those finish lines. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Almost like you had that scripted, man. (laughs) Just trying to relay my ideology in the most yeah. comprehensive way. Obviously, so, obviously something you yeah. think about a lot. Yeah. Try, yeah. you know, if you hear about, like you hear the Goggins and, and the Gary V and all of their stuff over and over again, but you hear their shit over and over again, because obviously not enough people are having it stick in their head. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I've gotten used to kind of defining certain things and saying what I'm all about and, and why I love running to people because you're saying it over and over again because mm-hmm, right. you got guys like you that want someone on their podcast that could provide value, right? Right, so, yeah. Yeah, you know. I remember when I listened to Gary Vee for like a little bit and then eventually we just got to the point where I was like, 
all right, I think I get it. Like, I think I, I think yeah. I get his message. Yeah. yeah. And he says in his content, he's like, you should stop listening to me at some point. You mm-hmm. should understand what I'm telling you to do. And, and, and he's so right. You're not, you're not supposed to like live through this imaginary life of yourself of eventually making it. No, you're supposed right. to fucking make it at some point. That's yeah. exactly what Gary says. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, you can consume all the information you want, I guess, but if you're not using it in any way, then what are you really doing there? Right. Exactly. It's like the dating app hinge. Their slogan Mm -hmm. is it's meant to be deleted, right? Right. You're meant to fucking get to there. If you're inputting that much content into your brain, you're meant to do something with it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that analogy. It it, it is kind of a cool mindset people have more, I think more in these times than in, in, in the, past with success i feel like maybe for generations before us it was always like you know you go to finish high school go to college you get a job you make six figures maybe seven figures that was like success and now success feels way more personal a way more personal idea than it ever has been um and I don't know. It's just something interesting to see how the culture has changed around the term success. You're very right. I was talking to my old football coach who is uh, works at uh, one of the big accounting firms. I forget which one he works at. But he said to me when I was catching up with him, he's like, dude, if I were to do it all over again, you know, he's like 35 now. If I were to do it all over again, I would be on a way different track than what I was taught success to be and how you should live your life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A, a big thing that I think social media has helped at least in a way, there's a lot of downsides of it, but social media has shown people that the nine to five in New York city, you know, making maybe 300 K a year doesn't exactly revolve you into the fulfillment of feeling good about your life. Right. 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 Whereas. And doesn't necessarily exist like right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Our grandparents were taught, you get your job, you work until you're 60 and you retire, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it makes, makes sense when, you know, like coming off of the depression and all, but with things being different, it's like, now I feel like people are more starting to have a conversation and trying to understand that there's not one size sit, one size fits all for success. It's you yes. need to understand what your priorities are prior to prioritize your life based off of that and then go and achieve those goals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I refer back the guy drinking six Coke zeros next to me at my first job. Maybe he's fine with getting that paycheck every two weeks and coming and sitting at his desk. But mm-hmm. to me, that is that's not success. So you're right. very right in that statement. Right, mm-hmm. and I, th- I and I think the uh, prospect of the American dream has changed a lot too. Because I think it was always you know make enough money to be able to do whatever you want, and now it's like more know what you want to do and work towards that. No matter what it be, what it is, you have the freedom to do that is yep. I think the American, to me, that's what the American. Yeah. The, like the way I view it now is it's, it's less about um, more about buying things and kind of consumerism and more about buying your own freedom and your own time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's not easy to do with mm-hmm. Drexel. You know, I was working that nine to five job coming home and working on Gen Z. And, and I think some people are stuck in the mindset of, you know, what I was doing after work was not work. That was what I loved doing, what I was passionate about. And it was a, a light at the end of the tunnel of potentially not working that nine to five. 
And I will tell you, I'm not at that point where Mm -hmm. I am fully out of the woods of never, you know, having to take that nine to five on. I'm not going on big vacations right now. I'm sitting, I'm running mountains, I'm cooking meats and I'm working. That's all I'm Mm -hmm. doing right now. I'm not buying, you know, a brand new car. I'm not doing all these things because I'm not there yet, but I'll sacrifice all of that that, you know, other people are doing because they're making, you know, 90, 100K a year and having that fun on the weekends. I'll sacrifice that now to potentially do what I, ha- you know, do the business I have now and buy all those things and have all that fun and have a big family to go on vacations with. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of almost delaying that process so that you can eventually have a better life for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And if you talk to any individual, that runs their own business and started it themselves, they will tell you that in their 20s, they worked their ass off. So what does that tell you you need to do? You know, I want to get to that point where I have capital and try to do shit Elon Musk is doing, try to do shit that actually matters. You know, creating a, a new backpack's an easier way for people to carry their phone while they're running is great, but I want to do something that actually advances our society. Like and create a flamethrower. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's just Musk's bullshit. But he knows knows how to play the game, man. He knows how to play the meme game for sure, too, along with what he's doing. He does. And that's what's kind of made him more of a pop star, too. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to get back to what I was saying, I want to be able to do societal changing things. And in order to do that, you need a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So I want to get to that point where I have a lot of money and start, you know, a university where it's, you don't have all these bullshit prereqs you need to do to, to graduate. Right. But Mm -hmm. where we maybe even elementary school where we're teaching kids how to manage individuals from when they're 12 rather than uh, other stupid things that I don't know what they're teaching elementary school these days, but Mm -hmm. I could go back and, 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 Yeah, oh, there's That's lessons. Good stuff. In, yeah, there's yeah. lessons in some of those. <laughs> I love how you're like. Well, no, Doctor well, Seuss had a lot yeah. of good values yeah. in there. Hang on. So, what's next for Ryan Lang then? I want to. I want. I'm launching these new running packs. I started just started the new ad campaign. I want to really blow Gen Z up into a five million dollar business over the next few years. Uh, and I want to help other individuals with persistent design really create some cool shit. Mm-hmm. So if I could help other entrepreneurs start their own business on uh, showing them the way of product design and getting stuff out to the people, uh, that's my next step in life for sure. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's- yeah. Plug yourself here, man. Tell, tell us where people can find you. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't been doing a whole lot of social media outreach because I've just been trying to build my own businesses. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm pretty active on Instagram uh, but you, anyone, anyone could email me, uh, Ryan at livegenz.com. Questions, you know, you just need help getting into running, a- absolutely anything. I am here to help. If anyone wants to become a better individual, I am not first in line to give you all that I got to make that happen. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. Uh, cool. Yeah, we'll link to all your stuff in the uh, in the description for the episode. Uh, but thanks a ton for coming on, Ryan. This is you got a really cool story, man. It's thanks, you, dude. That was a it, that was a fun ass podcast. I'll tell you that. Oh, we appreciate it, dude. Yeah, so, man, it was a blast good, talking to you. Good luck with everything, and we're really excited to see you know what Gen Z and the rest of your adventures uh, come out to be, man. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it, Ryan Lang. Everybody. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of After School Program. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at ASPPOD. And if you like this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and tell a friend who you think would like the show. Thanks again, and we'll see you in the next one.